Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. But today I want to look at, in the Bible, the ultimate baby dedication. It makes all the four dedications of my own children look pretty poor. It looks, today's effort look pretty average. This is like dedication of a child on a very, very high level. This is a story of a lady called Hannah. Going through our inspiring woman of the Bible called Worth More Than Rubies, based after Proverbs 31. This is the story of Hannah. I'm just going to read a few verses from you from the book of 1 Samuel 1. Hannah became the mother of Samuel, and this book is named after her child Samuel. But in 1 Samuel 1, we just read a few verses here in verse 9. It says this, Once, after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was like a tent church. It was a place where the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant um, was held. And for hundreds of years, the Israelites would carry this tent around from place to place. And now it was rested at a place called Shiloh. And Eli was the priest in charge of the tent, the tabernacle. Hannah went to pray, and she was in deep anguish, the Bible says, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow... O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, he will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. That's quite a commitment to make, isn't it? If if only you would give me a child, I will give him back to you. I know we talk about dedication, we talk about dedicating to God, and we pray for Rory this morning, but I don't think we mean giving him, like, back, back. I mean, can't we just keep him, but kind of say we give him back. But Hannah went the whole hog and went, I'll bring him to you for his entire lifetime. Have you ever had a time you've been so desperate, you prayed a prayer to God with strings attached? You said, God, if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. And then when it happens, you have second thoughts. Anyone has those sort of prayers? You know, if I win the lottery, I'll give you half back, God, honest. And then you win a million pounds, maybe. And you think, "Mm, half a million pounds is quite a lot of money. Or maybe you were like, God, if England could win the Euros, then I will walk around naked around Romsey. It's okay. It's a fairly safe request, isn't it? But maybe you've had those kind of things. God, if only that person would marry me, I'll never go on the internet again. You make these kind of big kind of commitments. Well, Hannah made this huge prayer. She prayed, God, if you would give me a son, I will give him back to you. I mean, as a parent, that's just like, wow, really? Hannah didn't opt out. She stood up and said, yes, that's what I said, and I will do what I said I'd do. And we'll see more as we go through the story today of Hannah and her son Samuel. So a bit of background, Hannah was living around 1100 BC, and she was in a town called Ramah in the hill country of Ephraim. Ephraim was one of the tribes of, of, of Jacob, of Israel. There were 12 tribes, but one of the tribes, Joseph, and maybe you know the story of Joseph, his technicolor dream coat, that tribe, that, uh, that family of Joseph was split into two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh, and Ephraim was in the hill country of Israel, and that's where Hannah lived, and she lived there with her husband, Elkanah, but the other player in this story is, is his other wife, Panina. Never a good sort of scenario, is it? But without going into details of two wives, and that could be complicated, but, but Elkanah had two wives. Panina 
had kids. Hannah didn't. You get the story. This is what was going on. And every single year, as a family, they would make their way from Ephraim, uh, sorry, from Ramah where they lived, and they'd go down the mountainside, the hillside, and they would go to the place of Shiloh where the tabernacle was. It would be like a, a day's journey, six to eight hours, donkey, horse, foot. And they would go, horse, foot, donkey, and just on foot, really, not horse, foot. I made that word up. That's a special one just for you here today. They would go to the tabernacle, and they would, they would go and they would make an offering. They would sacrifice, and they would spend time thanking God for his goodness to them. And they would, they would bring their animal, often it would be an ox, and they would, they would have it um, sacrificed by the priests, and then the meat would be delivered to them and as a family. And the Bible says that Elkanah would always give meat to his wife Panina and their children, but he'd give the best meat to his wife Hannah. Because she was his favorite. She, he loved his wife, Hannah, and probably saw what she was going through, not having children. But the Bible also says that while, she, while Hannah was going through this, that her, her competition, Panina, would tease her and taunt her and bully her about the fact that she had no children. In these times, biblical times, being childless as a woman was something often of shame. And there'd be a lot of shame attached. Why can't I produce children? It would be seen as you're not quite as good as the next woman. And especially, why couldn't I produce a boy? Because that's about keeping the family line going. And there would be this shame, and there would be this uh, verbal abuse from Panina, and there would be this childlessness she carried around with her. Hannah was in a desperate place. And I want to talk today what it was like to live through challenging times. Hannah was in a challenging time. She was struggling. Life was difficult. She was being bullied. She was having these ongoing comments. Can I say, church, our words are really powerful. What we say, even in jest, is powerful. When someone hears something over and over and over and over again, it starts to grate. It starts to build something up inside of you. You know, my kids often say, oh, I'm just bantering, Dad. I'm bantering. But you watch one of my children receiving the banter over and over and over again. You go, that, that's no longer funny. That's unkind. That's cruel. Let me just stop that. And we have to watch our words. James talks about the power of the tongue and the words that we use. Watch what we say. And Panina, probably because she knew that Hannah was the favorite wife, she would carry on taunting her, her competition, Hannah. And she would keep on saying things to her. Let's be a positive church. Look out for the, speak the best of each other. Speak well of each other. And I love in this story of Hannah that Elkanah, the husband, is a, is a classic husband. A little bit useless. If you read the Bible, there's this lovely little moment where Hannah is beside herself. She is grieving and she is crying and she is emotionally a mess. And there's that awkward husband. You, you know the picture because you've probably ever been there for your husband. You're like, oh dear. This is awkward. And you kind of, there's, um, but, but what's the problem? Like, can't you see what the problem is? What's the problem? And he says this lovely phrase, Elkanah. I said, why are you so upset? You've got me. I mean, he generally said, it's in the Bible. It's been there for 3,000 years. He actually said, I don't know what the problem is. I mean, you've got me. Aren't I worth, this is what he says, aren't I worth 10 of your sons? Could be awkward because you might go, actually, no, if I'm honest, I'd rather have 10 sons than you. And this, I don't know if you've ever done this, men. I call it when you're like being like petrol man, and your wife is upset about something, and there's a small fire. And along comes petrol man, and thinks, I know, we've got a small fire. 
If I put some petrol on it, it might make it, no, it just, and what I thought was like, oh, I'm sure it's not that bad. And what your wife wants is your sort of support and your care and your love, not your kind of very pragmatic, well, it will all be all right in the morning. Doesn't particularly help. And that's what Elkanah does. He kind of does this crazy thing. He says, well, you've got me. I'm better than 10 sons. But there was this woman, Hannah, in desperate times, facing this huge challenge of shame and childlessness and being bullied. Often, the greater the challenge, the greater the reward. Maybe you've read books about people who've gone through challenges you've gone through. You've, you've watched interviews on television. You think, oh, you may either find that really inspiring or really quite depressing. When you think, oh, it's easy for you to tell us about your mountain-topping adventure, but I'm still at the bottom of the hill, and I'm really struggling to find where the next handhold is. But it's interesting, in the Bible, there were a number of significant women who went through childlessness like Hannah did. You think about Sarah and Abraham. Sarah was an old woman. She couldn't have children. But then she had Isaac late on in life. And then Isaac married Rebecca. Rebecca also struggled to have children, but eventually Jacob was born. Or Mary, the mother of Jesus, her, her cousin Elizabeth was unable to have a child. But then her and Zechariah had John the Baptist. Significant people born out of difficulties. How often that seems to happen throughout the Bible. Hannah was struggling. Hannah was in a difficult place. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what your challenge is. You might think, no one needs to know, it's not as big as you might think, but for you, it's something really important. What are you going through right now that you need someone to help you with? What is the thing you're struggling with? What is your Hannah moment? What is the bit that you feel either shame about, disappointment over, concern about? I just don't know what's going to happen next. Where are you at this moment in time? What is God um, putting in front of you right now, even as I'm speaking, you're thinking, yes, this is the bit of my life I'm struggling with. Because I want to put to you four things about the way that Hannah responded in this story in 1 Samuel 1. How she responded when she found herself in a difficult place. The first thing that Hannah did was this. It says in verse 9 that they were sitting around the table. They'd just done their sacrifices at the tabernacle. And it says, Hannah got up and prayed. The first thing she did was got up and prayed. Life was a mess. Life was difficult. I don't know if she was sitting on the table and Panina's kind of making these banter and comments and negative things about her. And she just said, you know what? I'm just going to go and I'm going to pray. She got up and prayed. I'm always amazed how many people I know who would call themselves Christians who will spend time and effort and energy doing everything but pray. And then they go, I suppose we should pray. I want to be somebody who turns to prayer first, who turns to God and says, God, I need your help in this situation. I'm so busy trying to fix my life, I stopped turning to the person who made my life. And we need to be the person who goes, well, if he created me, I reckon he could fix this. Are we praying? Are we ready to get up and pray? That's what Hannah did. It reminded me of a famous hymn. It was actually originally a poem written by a man called Joseph Scriven. In 1855, you'll know it very well. He was living in Canada, and his mom was living in Ireland. And he wrote this poem to encourage her. And he, he wrote these words. It says this. I think we've got them on the screen as well. He said, What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. 
Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And the final verse. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Amazing words, aren't they? How often do we not take things to God in prayer and then later on we think, oh, I should have just prayed about this. Let's see people like Hannah that get up and pray. She prayed, the Bible says, she stood in the temple, in the tabernacle, and she prayed, and she prayed so much, it said that she, she prayed, but no words came out. She was a woman struggling and grieving, and she was just blurting out her emotions to God, because he understood more than Elkanah, her husband, did. And she's there praying, and the, the priest Eli got the wrong end of the stick. He thought she was drunk. He had a bit of a word with her. What do you think you're doing? I'm not drunk, I'm just desperate. And her words were piling out. And I don't know if you've ever been to that place of prayer where you just don't know what words to use. You're splurting out anything you can think, God, I just need to speak to you. I need you to connect with you. I don't know how to articulate my, my issues and challenges. And I, for me personally, I often find a great place to pray is in the car. I don't close my eyes before you get too worried. I just drive and I pray. It's a good sort of in-between meetings or whatever I'm doing, I just pray which was always a bit awkward before we had hands-free car kits. Because I'm sure other drivers looked at me and said, he's either got a very small child on the back seat, or he's a little bit odd. And now you've got hands-free car kits, everyone kind of goes, oh, well, he's obviously on his phone, uh, which isn't the case, or maybe it's my prayer phone. But I I will often spend time praying to God in the car. It's my place where I can pray. And and I try and pray regularly. I have a routine of prayer. I pray most days, and I will every day I pray, and I pray certain things for certain people. I pray the Lord's Prayer. I find consistency in prayer. God, I want to be someone of prayer. Is the first thing you do? Do you get up and pray, like Hannah did when you're struggling? You know, Paul in Corinthians encourages people that if you don't know how to pray, pray in tongues. He, he says, I wish all of you could speak in tongues. I wish all of you could speak in tongues, and more, I wish you could all prophesy, because the person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, the one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I want us to be a community that's able to speak in the words of angels, to speak in God's words himself, to communicate with him, and that's a whole other morning session we could take on speaking in tongues and prophesying, but I want to be a church that goes, I don't know how to communicate to God, to articulate my thoughts, I want to be able to speak to him in our own language in a way that only he understands. Number one, let's be people of prayer like Hannah was. The second thing is, Hannah did this, she responded. There's a big difference between how we react and how we respond. There is, there is um, Hannah. She's in the middle of the tabernacle. She is beside herself. She, the Bible says she's got tears running down her face. She is praying and no words are coming out. And this priest has accused her of being a drunkard. You would not be surprised if she reacted to the priest. How dare you say that? Do you have no idea what's going on? But when she explained herself and when Eli said, if that's what you believe God is calling you to do and to be, then may God grant your request, is what he said. May God grant your request. 
And she responds and she says, thank you. She responds well to the word of God. I'm always amazed by the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, when the angel Gabriel comes to her and she speaks to him and she says, well, if that's what you think it's going to be, then so be it. There's almost like this calmness. And Hannah's the same, well, thank you. I receive and I respond to that. And without being too crude, can I also point out in verse 19 that when Hannah went home, the Bible says that she went to bed with Elkanah. That when we pray, there has to be a response to the prayer. If she said to Eli, that's great, thanks very much, I believe the word of God, and then never slept with her husband, it's going to be difficult for God to answer the prayer. Without me going into it in great detail, do you understand what I'm saying? There is faith and there is action. And how many people go, well, we're going to keep on praying. You know, that, that phrase, you know, pray until something happens. Can I suggest that we have a responsibility in our prayer life with God that we have a part to play as well? That we pray, and then whatever God calls us to do, we need to do and step into that. And I think sometimes we're so busy waiting for God to kind of just sort it all out for us, we have a part to play. To pray and say, God, what are you calling me to do? And maybe it's not even connected to the thing you're struggling with. Maybe he calls you to be generous to somebody next door or to, to do something for someone else or to give something to somebody else or to do, to do something, to put yourself in the right place. I mean, I've met so many people who are praying in desperate circumstances. And I said, well, what have you done about what you're praying about? Well, I'm waiting for God to do that. We have got a part to play. We pray and we respond. And Hannah responded. She responded and thanked the priest. She responded and she slept with her husband. And, and within the year, she had a baby. Baby Samuel was born. God had granted her request. And she said, I call him Samuel because God heard me. I've been heard. Here he is. But the other thing Hannah did, which we need to learn from today, is this. The third thing she did was she knew about God's timing. Sometimes when we get answers to prayer, we're a bit premature to celebrate what God has done. Now hear me right here. In this story, the baby Samuel was born. But if, if Hannah had gone to the tabernacle and she turned up on the doorstep with a three-month-old child and said to poor old Eli, here you go, God's answered the prayers, there's your three-month-old baby. It's not good, is it? And don't start knocking on my door with three-month-old babies. I mean, it's just not going to be a pleasant thing, is it? But really, she knew that wasn't the right time. She wanted to wait until the baby was weaned. She said to her husband, Elkanah, you go to Shiloh this year. I will stay behind until the baby is fully weaned, until he's about three, four years old. And I don't think it was Hannah didn't want to give up her baby and didn't want to continue what she promised God she would do. I think she knew about timing, about waiting until the baby was ready. You know, weaning in Jewish tradition was a really important season. Because in, in, in historical, um, you know, kind of this, in this tradition, years and years ago, many children would die. Infant uh, death was really common. And so actually weaning was a very, almost like the child had got to a safe point in their life. That they were able to feed themselves. They might be able to walk and communicate a bit. And they knew there was this point where they were no longer dependent in the same way upon the mum. And it was a significant moment where the baby had gone from being dependent upon the mum to be able to start to be you know, independent, was able to maybe look with other people, other adults could look after the child. And so weaning was an important season. Even now, uh, Jewish uh, people will often celebrate the, the weaning of a child. They'll read uh, Psalm 104, which is, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. A psalm of celebration. A psalm that says, God, thank you so much that my child that was born 
has now been weaned and is now ready, is now you know, able to feed itself, and is now in a good place. The weaning moment is a really important season, traditionally. And so Hannah waited until Samuel was weaned. She knew the right time. And sometimes, some of you here I know, you've had answers to prayers. But there's a time to wait before you tell the story. There's a time to wait until that story has been fully matured, until the story has actually found its own narrative. And you go, yes, now this is the time to tell the story of God's goodness. And like Mary hid the words of God in her heart, and Hannah held on to Samuel while he was being weaned, we need to know how to just hold on to what God is doing, to wait for the right moment. People that get up and pray, people that respond to the word of God, people that wait and know the timing of God. And lastly, something I think we could all be better at doing, we need people who celebrate and worship when God does what he says he will do. And I think maybe it's, I don't know, it's an English thing, I don't know whether it's a kind of a polite Christian thing, but we decide we need to get better at celebrating how good God is and what he has done for us. We're like, oh yes, good job. Really? How do you celebrate when you know, your favorite football team wins or when your child does something amazing or when you know, you, you've had a, 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 you know, some sort of, um, something happened at work, you know, you've got recognition for a project or you've, you know, you've been given an increase in your salary. You, you celebrate. You celebrate. But instead here we kind of have Hannah who made a commitment to God. If you give me a son, I'll return him to you. Three, four years later, she returns to the tabernacle. She meets Eli the priest. I don't know if you remember me. I'm the woman you thought was drunk because I was desperate for a child. Here is the child that I prayed for. God granted me the request. And I want to bring him back to you. And she handed over. She handed over her child, Samuel, to Eli the priest. And Samuel became a priest in training, an apprentice. He became the most famous judge the leader of Israel. He anointed the first king of Israel and anointed the most famous king, David himself. Samuel became a very significant character. There's even two books in the Bible named after him because of Hannah's goodness and kindness and generosity. And she did what she said she would do. And God blessed her. He didn't just answer her prayer. He went on to give her more children. She had three more sons and two more daughters. And every year, her mom would, uh, uh, sorry, his mum, Hannah, would turn up and I love this, in the Bible it tells you she turned up every year with a new tunic, uh, you know, an ephod. It was like a big t-shirt. You know, every year she'd tell me, here you go, son, here's a fresh t-shirt for you. You know, one a year, look after it. Don't ruin it playing football. And she would hand over this thing. But Hannah worshipped God. She said these words at the end of Samuel 1. She said this, my heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Or in the message version, which I think is more accurate to what she would have said. This is brilliant. She says these words, I'm bursting with God news. I love that. You know when people can't help it? I've got to tell you the news. It's amazing. You won't believe what's happened today. She's bursting with God news. I'm walking on air. I'm laughing at my rivals. I think that was Panina, the other wife. Look at you. Is that all you got? Look at me. Check this out. I'm dancing my salvation. Nothing and no one is holy like God. No rock mountain like our God. I don't know what challenges your face today. I don't know what difficulties you are struggling with at this moment in time. But God is like a rock. The Bible says he's like a fortress. He is our sure-footed place we can stand and know we can be safe. There's loads of imagery in the Bible, but you know we can be under the shelter of his wings. God is reliable. 
I don't want you're desperate to see in your life right now. What is the thing that you are holding out for right now? Let God be your rock. Are you getting up and praying that God will change your circumstances? Are you responding to what he says to you? Are you putting things into place? Are you waiting for that right moment? And are we celebrating in worship? We need to get better at worshiping. Worship needs to be the center of who we are. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, our worship is so important. For how we align ourselves with Jesus himself. We say, God, you are great. And I am small. I, I worship you. I put you in your rightful place. I celebrate who you are. And because of that alignment, we can then step out and become who God wants us to be. Let's learn this morning, my challenge to you, to learn from the life of Hannah. To be people that take our challenges to God in prayer. That the worship band are here. I want to help them to help us uh, lead us in worship time this morning. Um, I'm going to pray. Let's be people of prayer who respond, who wait, and worship. We can ask Lisa in a prayer right now. Is that okay? Wherever you are right now, if you want to spend a moment, close your eyes. I'd like you to think about the thing that you are right now, you are grappling with. What is the thing that you are going, uh, this is a difficulty for me, it's a challenge for me. What is the thing that you are focusing on? And just spend a few moments with your eyes closed, just considering that challenge. I want to just pray for us as a community. struggling with this morning but I know my God is big enough to provide all of our needs according to his riches and so Father God this morning in this room we come to you we choose to pray like Hannah came and she prayed desperately God I need your help Father God, we need your help in so many of our situations and circumstances. Whatever we're struggling with today, I want to pray for the lives in this room. That they would hear from you. You would connect with them. That they would see answers to their prayers. So I pray for all the various prayers that are going up right now. That people are speaking out their prayers and their concerns. Lord, will you hear our prayers, Lord, we pray. Will you come and be present in this place? But where there is hurt and disappointment and shame and uncertainty and desperation and hope intermingled, we just, sometimes we can get ourselves all upside down in a mess, Lord God. We are people that need you. And so, God, I want to pray upon the various circumstances in this room that there would be breakthrough, that there would be a change, that there would be something taking place that's unexpected. Lord, as we get up and pray, as we respond to your words, as we wait for the right moment, and as we worship and thank you, Lord, help us, we pray, in that process, that we would be like this woman, Hannah, who fixed her eyes upon you, who prayed a desperate prayer and made a significant gift back to you. Lord, may we be people who are generous, who are always ready to give, always ready to worship, and that turn to you in prayer before we try and fix things ourselves. 
thank you you are such a good God, a consistent God, a loving God, and we know we can depend upon you. Lord, we pray you would hear our words, our prayers, our cries, our needs, and you provide what we're so desperate for at this time, we pray. Amen. Amen. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.